0: Come on up, Caleb. So, we have a special guest. I'm excited to introduce to you, uh, Caleb Kaltebach. Come on up, Caleb. Uh, give it up for Caleb. He's yeah. so, yeah. way here from Southern California. And um, I'm excited that he's here for a couple of reasons. One, it's been a while since we've been able to hang out. We, we have quite a bit of history together. Um, Caleb and I were actually roommates in college. And, and there are so many stories I could tell you, but uh, one of my favorite things about being Caleb's roommate was that I was off limits to just pranks. And so, um, many times, I'd be, this is, this is a typical evening in the dorm. I'd be laying in bed, I would hear him running down the hall. He would come into the room, slam the door, lock it, jump in bed, and say, it's got to here the whole time. And then, and then it wouldn't take a couple minutes later, some other guy running down the hall banging on the show where are you? I know you're in there. And that happens all the time. And so, thankfully, he didn't do any of that stuff to me, but I can't even I can't even mention um, what he did in that summer bedroom, uh, because none of us knew. that,
1: Dude, that sounds awful.
0: None of us, it, it wasn't just his bedroom, it was his bed.
1: Okay, that, that sounds awful. I don't know. <laughs> it's not what you think. Continue.
0: None of us need that in our...
1: No, no, we don't. <laughs> um,
0: also, this is another thing. We had... So, in the dorms,
1: the Ozark was, Ozark was very uh, old school. And... <laughs> Continue, continue.
0: So we went for very old school, and we didn't have, um, we didn't have a, a, a an air conditioner. They didn't have air conditioner. Okay, so it's was hot in August and September. And so one of the things Caleb did was he, he went to a chiropractor friend and had him write a doctor's note that said, Caleb is sensitive to the heat. And so we were able to get an air conditioner because of him. So thankfully, I was really thankful for him as a roommate had to be at AC. Also, we had two fish uh, one time, and then one fish killed the other fish, and Caleb decided that the best way to punish the fish for killing the other fish, did he eat the fish or kill the fish?
1: He just killed it.
0: It was to take it out of the tank and hold it in front of the air conditioning. Just kind of like, you know what, that'll teach you not to kill the friend, and then put it back so that was working, that was living with
1: Caleb. Uh, so. And then I married Ryan and I got quite a bit of an upgrade. So that was how I left Caleb as a baby. Because Ryan doesn't kill fish or no. hang around in other people's bedrooms no, or anything no. like that. <laughs> Ryan. Is I don't know. <laughs> Hopefully not.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we also, so not only did we, oh. roommates to yeah. college it yeah. Yeah. Caleb. Finished a semester before me, and he was in California at a church, and he helped me get a position at the same church. and So we worked together for five plus years. Yeah. Something like that.
1: Um, Where I didn't kill any animals.
0: No, he didn't. No, he didn't kill. Any animals.
1: None of God's creatures. No. <laughs> didn't invade any homes. Or beds. Or... <laughs> <laughs> Just move on from there. <laughs>
0: Just skip. So. Uh,
1: No, go ahead.
0: All right, so I think we're done here. This is, yeah. this is my introduction to, he's, he's been on to write a few books, he's become super
1: famous. Um, but, I don't think <laughs> he Can I just say, Scott, that is the most unique introduction <laughs> that I've ever had in my entire life. So thank you for that. I appreciate that. Um, I don't even know. I feel like we need to pray and we're done here. Um, (laughs) After that introduction. Um, Yeah. I'm Caleb. I'm not a serial killer. Um, (laughs) No, but uh, you know what? I've known Scott since, I don't know. Dude, it's probably been 22 years, yeah. It's been 22 years or more that I've known Scott. And I uh, just want to let you know, I know that he's been uh, doing a lot of different things. And, um, you know, if, if you're under his leadership here at the table, if you uh, attend Sunnybrook, I just want to let you know that you have a great staff, and one of those uh, great, incredible staff members is Scott Irwin. Um, this guy has so much integrity. You don't know how many times I've tried to get this guy to send. Like, being in a 7-Eleven, like, Scott, it's a Snickers bar. Just take it. Go ahead. Take it. I know we're not supposed to do that as Christians, right? But it's kind of like, Scott, I need you to send. Um, just do something, you know? Push that old woman over real quick. <laughs> just push her over. And he would say no, you know? I remember one time we were at a Catalyst Conference. Uh, which was a leader, uh, leadership conference. Um, we were there. Uh, one of the first or second years that they had it in Atlanta, and we hadn't registered for lunches, and they were giving away free lunches. You know, And I went up, and I said, we don't have it. We don't have a a pass. Can we still get it? And they're like, oh, yeah, go ahead and take it. And Scott's like, I I don't know. We didn't register. She just said yes. (laughs) Well, should she be saying that? Take it. I don't know. Okay, Scott, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take mine, and I'm going to take yours, and I'm going to give it to you. And throw me under the bus for the lunch, or I'll pay the five dollars. I mean, but seriously, that's the kind of person Scott is. He is one of the most uh, consistent people, and I've heard him say, oh, you know, I don't know, I would, you know, it's, I don't have these stories. And the great story about Scott is just how consistent he is and how much of a stabilizing individual he is and how God is using him in this way. So I am extremely thankful for my good friend Scott. I'm also thankful for my friend Drew Moss. Uh, I knew Drew when Drew was in either middle school or high school. I remember speaking at at a camp in Muskogee, Oklahoma and Drew was there, little Drew was there. Um, Drew has since grown up and he has more hair than I do and he's also still more thin, um, which hopefully that changes someday and it reverses. Um, but seriously, I'm, I'm grateful for Drew and uh, just the ministry that he's been doing here. Um, I always think we're gonna run into each other over the summer at CIY, so it's finally nice to be able to run into him here and just see the, the good work that he's doing. And so, uh, the rest of you, I'm glad that you're here. I'm gonna introduce myself uh, to you, besides what Scott, you should have it, Scott introduce you someday, it'll be interesting. Um, I'm married to my wife, Amy. Um, she is, uh, she is beautiful. We have two kids. We have a 15 year old son named Joel, uh, who thinks he's going to get his license next year, but he's a crack smoker. Um, you know, because I told him you're not driving yet. We live in the LA area, and I'm like, you're not driving until you can show me you can walk through the living room without running into the TV. <laughs> like, holding your phone and walking. Like, you can't do that and drive, especially out here in LA. Because even if you get a wreck and you're okay, somebody might shoot you. So seriously, just. <laughs> don't, okay? You can't have that happen. Then we have my 13-year-old daughter named Rachel, um, who is 13 going on 19, and just the other day, she started rolling her eyes at me like, oh, dad, and I'm like, I'm German, you better stop. (laughs) We're not going to do the eye rolling. I'm married to my beautiful wife, Amy. She is a muy caliente Latina, and in her wildest imagination, she had no clue. That her knight in shining armor would look like a cross between Gru, Dr. Evil, Uncle Fester. <laughs> she is a lucky lady. <laughs> I told her, I said, you, I said y- you better hope that nothing ever happens to me. Because you will not ever do better than this eye candy right here. If you get remarried, it's, this is the best it's, anybody could get right here. Um, But seriously, she is phenomenal. She goes to the gym every day, works out. Um, You know, she has a six-pack. I think you can tell I like Netflix and the couch um, and YouTube. I really do. Um, You know, somebody asked me today, you know, why don't you go to the gym? I'm like, because I'm expanding the temple of the Holy Spirit. Um, (laughs) I'm creating more wings (laughs) for his presence. Praise his name. Um, Anyway tell you a little bit more about me um i wrote you know some books one called god of tomorrow another one called messy grace another one just released last august called messy truth and messy grace was really the first book that i wrote and it was really um kind of about my life and then it was about jesus and then also each chapter has stuff in there about how do you love people that are different from you um because here's here's my story part of it um uh, my, when I was two years old, uh, my parents divorced. They were both professors at the University of Missouri, Columbia. Um, my mom moved uh, to Kansas City. She was teaching at the University of Missouri, Kansas City. Uh, my dad stayed in Columbia where he was teaching at different schools. Um, but when they divorced, when I was two years old, both of them went into same sex relationships. My dad was in the closet, you know, that's where he was, and he had different friends but never a monogamous partner. But my mom was in a 22-year monogamous relationship with a psychologist named Vera. And when they moved to Kansas City, Vera opened up her uh, practice there on the plaza. And um, they were very activist-oriented. They were on the uh, board of directors for GLAAD. When I was growing up, they would take me to activist events, bars and clubs and house parties, pride parades, campouts. Um, Although I don't go camping anymore because I've seen Unsolved Mysteries and I know what happens in the woods. That's also why I don't go into basements, but you don't need to know that. So I ended up you know, uh, being raised in uh, the LGBTQ community in Kansas City, uh, specifically Westport area of Kansas City. And um, this is what I learned when I was being raised, uh, that Christians hate gay people. If you are not like them, they will not like you. And so I was raised with this notion and this belief The Christians were white Republican cultural fundamentalist extremists, and I didn't want to have anything to do with them. I mean, I would march in gay pride parades as a kid. I saw quote-unquote Christians holding up signs saying, God hates you, Jesus has no room for you, spraying urine on people saying, this is what Jesus thinks of you. I remember seeing families ignoring their young sons who were dying of AIDS. I don't know if you've ever seen anybody die from AIDS. I've had several friends die from AIDS. It's one of the worst deaths you could ever have. And their Christian families didn't show up. And if they did, they wouldn't want to have anything to do with them. They wouldn't want to touch them. They wouldn't want to hug them. They were taking their, their moral Christian stand. No, no, no. There's a difference between morals and being a moron. And God will definitely deal with the morons. And so, I mean, I I grew up, by the time I got to high school, I just hated Christians. And here's my thinking. I never, ever want to be a a Christian because if Christians are this bad, I can't imagine how awful Jesus Christ must be. That was my thinking. And so, by the time I was 16, um, as I said, I hated Christians. I got invited by another high schooler who led a Bible study in his house for high schoolers. And I thought, this is, this is going to be perfect. I'm going to go, and I'm going to be a pretend Christian, ninja Christian. And I'm going to dismantle their faith, and then move on to the next Bible study. And as you can tell, that worked out real well. That was a great plan. <laughs> it's a great plan. And so, I don't know if, if like, I showed up at this Christian house, and I had never, at the age of 16, really stepped foot in a, in a Christian household, much less a, a Catholic household. And I, here's the deal, I don't know if you've ever been in a Bible bookstore before, or a Christian bookstore. I don't know if, you know, they have those out here. Um, we, we, I don't think we do in LA, except for churches. Um, maybe, I don't know. Nobody really goes, everybody goes to in and out um, <laughs> But I walked into their house And it looked like they had raided a Bible bookstore. It looked like they just picked it up. Um, Like they had testaments. Do you guys know we have our own breath mints, Christian breath mints? Do you guys know that? Many of you didn't. Like don't ever try a Christian breath mint. If you want to know what cyanide and spearmint taste like together, try it. It's awful. Couldn't get the taste out of my mouth for like a day. And then they had the Christian paintings on the wall. You ever seen the Christian bookstore paintings? And again, if your house looks like this, I think that's great. I hope your house—you you decorate your house however you want, as long as you don't have Nickelback posters up. I think you're good. <laughs> Sorry, I just triggered Scott. <laughs> but like they had like framed pictures of sheep with Bible verses and lions, and I had never seen anybody have a framed picture of an animal they didn't own up on their wall. I was like, this is weird. Then they had a picture with some kid playing with a cobra near a sheep and a lion. I'm like, what is this place? We're gonna sacrifice a chicken. And my friend came up from the basement back when I went into basements. And he's like, hey, we circled up downstairs. Won't you join us? And I'm thinking, well, this is how a horror movie begins. Let's, yeah, let's go down there. Went down in the basement. Everybody's reading out of 1 Corinthians. I can't find it. I didn't know the Bible had a table of contents. So I, I, I go and I read a verse out of 1 Chronicles about some dude getting impaled. <laughs> They're like, where are you? I said, well, I'm in 1 I'm in Chronicles. They're like, oh, so you're in the Old Testament. And I'm like, is there a new one? <laughs> like, I didn't know we had updated 2.0. Like, I had no clue. And the more that I kept on going back, because I'm like, you know what, I'm going to disprove what they believed. I saw a different Jesus in the Gospels than what I assumed to be real. I saw somebody that had real expectations for how uh, his followers should live their lives and treat other people. He had very deep theological convictions, but but he also had very real and authentic relationships with people who are nothing like him. People who are marginalized by the religious elite of his day. And I was like, man, I can get on board with Jesus. Like, I don't want a sheep picture, ever. I still don't have one. If you have one, word. <laughs> but I knew that it would, it would be an issue. I had to study what the Bible had to say about marriage and sexuality and relationships and intimacy. And I started to study. And I started to study really hard. And I came to two conclusions I still hold today. And my conclusions... Um, were really based on the words of Jesus more than anything else in the Bible, even though I think they're equally inspired. I came to the first conclusion that God designed sexual intimacy and affection to be expressed in a marriage between a man and a woman. But I also came to this conclusion that a theological conviction is never a catalyst to devalue another human being. That whatever you believe about theology... Whatever you believe about marriage, whatever you believe about sexuality, whatever you believe about intimacy, if that causes you to mistreat another person, then you can be an absolute heretic in how you have carried out your theology because that's not the ultimate goal of theology. The ultimate end goal of every theological system that you can imagine is love your neighbor. There's a reason why Paul wrote in both Galatians 5:14 and Romans 13:8 through 10 that loving your neighbor fulfills the law. I've had people ask me, well, why is it that Paul doesn't say loving God with everything you are and loving your neighbor fulfills the law? Here's my answer. How do you think you love God with all your heart, soul, and mind? You love God with everything you are by loving your neighbor as yourself. Because what's most important to God? People. People are the most important. And so, you know, I ended up um, uh, then wanting to be a pastor and I didn't want, I didn't know what to do. My friend Greg, he was a Christian and I called him one morning, I was still 16, I called him, I said, Greg, I think I've turned Christian. What do I do? He said, let's go eat Chinese food and I'll baptize you. (laughs) Why not? Right? That's what they did in Acts 2. They went and ate orange chicken, not pork. You no, know, because they're Jewish. You know, a, you know what? Forget it. You know, you keep up, keep up, keep up. And so I went and got baptized, and I was so nervous to tell my parents. You know why? Well, I because I changed my views on sexuality, yes. Because I wanted to be a pastor, yes. But really I was nervous because I had to come out as a Christian to my three activist LGBTQ parents. Wanna know what their reaction was? They kicked me out. I had to end up staying with other friends for about a month and my mom said, don't bother coming to visit. And I've told this to a lot of LGBTQ students and they're like, no, 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 no. that only happens to LGBTQ individuals, and their super religious parents treat them like that. Those are the people that do that. I'm like, no, those aren't the people that do that. You know who are the people that react that way? Human beings react that way. I don't care what you believe, humans do. I don't know if you know this. Like, most, like people are morons. I really, I really believe that. Everybody. You're like, Caleb is so negative. It's not me. It's the Bible. Okay. Paul says it, Romans 6, 23, for, you know, Romans chapter 3, Romans chapter 6. You know, for, you know, all have sinned. Everybody's sinners. Everybody's disappointed in God, and we've fallen short of the glory of God. Morons, all of us. My, my family and I, we go to Disneyland all the time, and my daughter sometimes, because uh, she has uh, scoliosis, and she has a dry disc it, uh, in her back, uh, in her, uh, one of her vertebrae. It's really difficult for her to stand some of the time. So we have to get a wheelchair and push her around. And I'm pushing her around, and there are a lot of people there. And she's like, Dad, how can you just not get... You know, so you're you're not frustrated. You're not upset at all these people. Why? I said, Rachel, if you go through life just expecting people to be morons, unintentional morons that God loves, including yourself, it'll be better. And guess what? She wasn't upset the rest of the day. (laughs) You see, my parents did that to me. You know why? Because we fear whatever makes us feel out of control or whatever or whoever we don't understand. I don't care who you are. I don't care what your ideology is. I don't care what your politics is. When you meet a person, an idea or a situation that makes you feel out of control or that you do not understand, you become fearful. And I don't care what people say. Fear is not a bad thing. If somebody tells you fear is a bad thing, they don't know what they're talking about. Let's say you're going hiking, okay? Which I don't. Just put that out there. But let's say you went hiking in Southern California. You've got to be careful, especially up in the mountains. You might meet a mountain lion. Or worse yet, you might meet a rattlesnake. Now, if you saw a rattlesnake, would you pick it up and say, oh, it's a pretty snake. I love it. I'm going to name it Bertha. Or Susie, I'm going to put it in my pocket and get a studded collar, and pull it around on its leash. No, you're going to be dead. <laughs> you're going to die. You're going to come face-to-face with God, and he's going to do a Scott Irwin face palm like this. <sighs> be like, you had one job. <laughs> what, is, what, the snake? Yeah, stay away from it. You said not to be afraid. There's a reason why I gave you, ooh, it's rattling, run. (laughs) Fear is not a bad thing. But when fear starts to control your relationships and the direction of your life and how you treat people, it's toxic. And we live in a society today that encourages people of all different political persuasions and ideologies and opinions to react out of fear. And I just started reading the Bible, and here's what I learned real quick. Their relationship with Jesus, it gave me the margin to love the unlovable and forgive the unforgivable. Eventually my parents let me back in, and I went to Bible college in what apparently is the Mecca of Christianity, Joplin, Missouri. Um, Anybody ever been to Joplin? Anybody? A few of you? Don't stay. What? Seriously, don't. It's still water it's much more interesting. You're like, no, it's not. It is. Trust me. More interesting. But when I was there, I got to preach at different churches. I got to preach at this one church for about 18 months. And this church, I think we're the largest church per capita. We had about 25 people in our church, but the town had 50 people in it. So we had like half the town, one for Christ. Can't say that here. It's still water, right? Somebody would die. We would drag somebody in. Come on, get in here. Now we're above the average right there. (laughs) And so after about 18 months, I finally convinced my mom to come to church. And so she came. Um, And, you know, she enjoyed it uh, to a degree. And when she ended up, you know, the next Sunday, she's like, I'm sorry, I can't come back this next Sunday. I showed up to church. There were two elders waiting for me on the doorstep. And they said, Caleb, we need to talk to you. And so they took me to the back room, which was the children's room. Uh, But there were no children in the town. It was like a creepy nightmare in Elm Street type setting. <laughs> there were literally no children in the town, people. And I didn't even know there was a children's room. Like, we went back there, and there were I mean, talk about a horror movie. There were porcelain dolls staring at you and <laughs> old baby toys with cobwebs. Wow, can't we go outside? It's like, what's going to happen back here? And they said, if you want to keep preaching here, don't you ever bring somebody like that again, like your mother. We don't like those people. And my reaction was, well, I don't like you, so I quit. Like, I'm not going to preach. I'm done. Finished. Finito. They're like, no, you need to preach. I said, oh, you don't want that. Not after this conversation. They're like, no, 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 we need a sermon. And I said, oh, you're going to get one. So I don't know if you've ever heard this song by Bon Jovi called Blaze of Glory, that if you're going to go out... So I went up, when it was done my time to preach, and I had ripped up my sermon, it was on fasting, who cares about fasting anyway, I'm not, out of all the sermons I could preach last, that's not going to be the one, never, about fasting, and so I got up there, and I preached a sermon about loving God, and loving people, and conviction, and I walked out of there, and I said, God, here's the deal. If I'm ever in a church, I want to be in a church filled with messy, broken people, which is everybody, people that are using, people that are addicted to drugs, addicted to porn, addicted to alcohol, people that have been married five times, people who believe, you know, that... that that there, is, there are ten gods in the sky, people who identify as this gender identity, people who see their sexuality as this, people who are homeless, people who are in gangs, people who have no money, people who have all this money, people who work at that organization, people who work at no organization, people that are super old, people that are super young, because that is what the church is, people. The church is a beautiful mosaic of messy, broken lives that God has united together to glorify himself. Okay? God is not glorified in a place masquerading as a church when all along it's really a Pharisee factory. There's a reason why we read in Revelation 2 and 3 that uh, Jesus said, if you don't change these churches, I'll remove your lampstand. There's a reason why churches' influence fades away and other churches are able to pick up the slack. Because when you forget that loving your neighbor is the end goal... Of every theological system, you will end up failing. And Jesus will say, I'll let somebody else come and take the mantle. And so when I graduated, I moved out to Southern California when it was popular to move out to Southern California, as opposed to now, like nobody, everybody's moving away, um, which is fine with me. Let the housing prices go down, I'm good. (laughs) And so moved out there, got married had two, married my wife, had two kids. We have a dog named Oscar that we found on Academy Awards night. So his name is Oscar. <laughs> we moved to uh, Texas for about three and a half years cause everybody's gotta live in purgatory at some point. <laughs> hey, no listen, it is, a, it is a hostile environment. First of all, Jerry Jones owns the Dallas Cowboys. I've never seen a city hate an owner. They love, it's true, they love Cuban and the Mavs. They love the Cowboys, but they hate Jerry. <laughs> There's also, it's more humid there than it is here. It just is, okay? It's super flat, um, although if your goal in life one day is to gain weight in a short amount of time, move to Dallas, you, that, phenomenal restaurants. If you want to gain weight, you will achieve your goal in a matter of days. <laughs> in Dallas, Texas and so preached there for you know three and a half years fought the Jerry Jones feeling eventually my mom and dad moved down there separately of one another and um, uh, my mother's partner Vera died uh, uh, about I'd say five years before that my mom and dad said can we move down to be closer to you and I was looking at the walls to see if they were bleeding or if a pig was singing. Or sorry, pig was flying. Do not read anything into that. Then we're like, what did you mean? I did not mean that. Just leave it alone. I will answer no questions about that. And so I ended up I ended up um, you know, having both my parents move down there. And then they said, Can we start attending your church? And I said Sure, but you know what I believe about, you know, sexuality. They're like, yeah. I said, cool, come on over. And they did. And, my, and the church there, the people there treated them better than I did. You know how annoying it is when people treat your parents better than you do? <laughs> they did. They loved them. To the point that when we moved back to Southern California in the summer of 2013, my mom and dad, separately of one another, at the age of 69, trusted Christ. And I asked them, what was it? And here's what they basically said in so many words. They said, people treated us like people, not like projects. People didn't treat us or, you know, like projects. People treated us like people, and it's true. Like Individuals can tell if you're trying out your new evangelistic ninja moves on them. Your new Kirk Cameron, way of the master. They can tell. But when you treat people like people because that's what they are, people respond. And people people actually treat you well. When you treat them like people, and you're interested in being their friend, not just to win them to Christ, but because they have the value and dignity of a human being. They have the same intrinsic value that you do because everybody is somebody that God created and Jesus died for. And so in a minute there, it, we're going to go to a, a break in a minute and we're going to do some uh, question and answer times, but there are a few things that I want to address before we go, go into the questions because um, some of the questions deal with uh, conversations or talking or that kind of thing. And there are a few things I want to say, okay? I want you to listen to these because these things are super important. That if you want to live out and live in a way that honors Christ, um, no matter what you believe, whether you believe that uh, same-sex relationships are blessed by God or whether you believe that same-sex relationships are not blessed by God, there are a few things that I want you to understand and I want you to do, okay? Number one, you need to understand that acceptance is greater than agreement, Acceptance is a greater than agreement. If you follow Jesus, here's the deal. And, and if you don't follow Jesus yet, this might be a good reason not to follow Jesus. Some of you are like, Caleb, I don't know if you're supposed to say that. That's not in the script. But it's true. Here's the deal. If you follow Jesus, you give up your right to be unloving. You do not get to be Unforgiving. You do not get to be bitter. You do not get the choice as to whether or not to not love somebody. Like, what did Jesus mean when he said, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you? And I get it. There are some people that are so toxic that you do have to have an arm's distance length or you have to cut off communication. But those are extreme cases. But if you follow Jesus... You don't get to be unloving. You don't get to be unforgiving. You don't get to be indifferent. You don't get to be passive-aggressive. You don't get to be aggressive-aggressive. You don't get to blow somebody off. You don't get to make judgments. You don't get to make assumptions. You get to love people. As I said, it might be a great reason not to follow Jesus because it's hard. Like, if God gave me an inerrant eraser and said, erase anything, that's gone. Like, I'm great at revenge. Like, Scott can tell you. There's one guy that did something to me in college, I took his toothbrush, cut off the bristles, sprinkled them in his bed sheets. Another one took a dead fish, threw it in his heater.
2: <laughs>
1: I have family in the Ukrainian mafia. Leave me alone. No, but seriously, you don't get that right. When Jesus said, if somebody forces you to go one mile, go with them too. You know what he's talking about? He was telling a, a mostly Jewish audience that when a Roman soldier forces you to carry their heavy pack for one mile, this soldier that has killed your people, that has raped and murdered your people, that follows a dictator that thinks he is God, that has occupied your land illegally, that imposes taxes that you see as illegal, that to a degree has limited your freedom, you serve that person. Jesus didn't say you agree with them. Jesus said you walk alongside them. Meaning you can't walk a mile in somebody's shoes, you can walk miles next to someone. If you follow Jesus, you have to accept people. does not mean you have to agree with them. But it does mean you don't get to reject them. See, here's the other thing. We need to distinguish people from their opinions. You need to realize the difference between a person and their opinions because especially in a political um, and ideological-charged society like what we have right now, a lot of people see people and they just see them as the worst. If if they disagree, they see that person as the worst or as the extreme of whatever is the opposite of their views. And we turn them into a scarecrow argument or a straw man argument. That's what we do. And you need to realize... That people are not, the, are, are not the ideas that they espouse. People are not your opinion of them, and people are not their opinions. That is somebody that Jesus bled for, it is somebody that Jesus died for. You may not like them, you have to love them. You see, it was Dr. Martin Luther King. I read this in a book that he wrote. If you've never read this book, it's one of the few books I read about twice a year called Strength to Love. It's a bunch of his sermons put together by his wife, Coretta Scott King. And in this book, Strength to Love, he talks about how he came to forgive and love white supremacists. And he said that in every single person, you have to look at them and there is a shining light within them. No matter how small, you have to find the good. And when you find that good in them, you have to pray for that good in them. And you have to pray that God will give you a passion for them and for that good So that you will be able to love them. Here's the third thing that you need to do. You need to allow differences to drive you to people, not from them. Differences are a good thing. You see, this this is the whole idea. Differences are a good thing. Differences are a chance to learn about somebody. Again, I know there are toxic people out there. But when you get down to the basis of who a person is, we're all flawed, broken individuals who are in need of Christ. You see, a lot of people in this society will tell you that that we need to disagree less. That is absolutely ridiculous and impossible. One thing I know about human beings, they love their own opinions. How many of you know that human beings are highly emotional, very specific, they can be very selfish, and they love their own opinions? Listen, I have my opinions. Nobody supports my opinions like I do. Nobody has bought into my opinions more than I do. But yet, when somebody's different from me, that's not an invitation to run away. That's an invitation to lean in and learn. You see, the whole goal is not to disagree less. We need to learn how to disagree better. If we disagree less, dialogue leaves. We disagree better. We'll actually learn how to do this. I have two friends, Matthew Vines and Justin Lee. Both are affirming authors. I would be called compassionate, non-affirming. They are affirming Um, and and they are affirming uh, Christians. And the two of us, or the three of us, actually me with Justin and me with Matthew, we have gone to several different places. Justin and I went to two places last year where we actually sat down with university students. And we're like, okay, Justin is affirming, Caleb is compassionately non-affirming, but how can we keep this friendship? Well, it's pretty easy. Because we don't let sexuality be the thing that defines our friendship. We don't let politics, praise God, be the thing that defines our friendship. You know what our friendship is based in? The fact that Jesus told us to love your neighbor as yourself. That in Star Wars. (laughs) Except for The Last Jedi, because that's horrible. I, I expect cheering with that next time I say it. Thank you. You see... Making assumptions about people is awful. Assumptions makes you the villain. But when you lean in and when you love somebody, you will begin to gain influence with that person. When you love them for who they are, no matter your opinions, no matter your thoughts, but you love them because you first chose to love Christ. That's how you begin changing the world. And that's how I learned to love people who are just as messy as me. They're just messy in different ways. I'm going to pray. I've gone over a little bit. It's all right. We'll give a little bit more time for questions maybe. Um, But I just want to pray for you, and we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back, do some Q&A. Please don't leave. Um, If you you do, we will know who you are. Um, We've already scanned barcodes. Let me pray for you. Lord, thank you so much for today. Thank you for uh, this time that we have to be able to talk about these things. Um, Lord, you are great and gracious, and you are the God that loved us. You are the God that sought us. Even before we sought you or were passionate about you, you loved us. When we were still at war with you in our minds because of what we thought, you still loved us. When we didn't even like you, you loved us and you pursued us. And may we, Repeat that. And may we emulate that in our own lives with other people, especially those that might be different from us that we may disagree with. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen. All right, break time. Come back in what, five minutes, Scott? Five minutes. Big words for you too. And the reason why they should be big words is because John chapter 1, verses 14 and 16 say that Jesus came full of both grace and grace. And truth at the same time. Now, here's what's really, really interesting is that all throughout the Gospel of John, you see that model. Like, for instance, um, in in John chapter 3, Jesus meets with a Pharisee named Nicodemus, and he starts out by telling him the truth, and he ends with grace. But then you have uh, a a woman that Jesus meets at a well in John chapter 4, and he starts out with grace, and he ends with truth. You have John chapter 8, verse 11, when um, uh, Jesus tells a woman who's caught in the act of adultery, where they bring the woman to Jesus, but apparently the dude gets to leave and go free. But they bring this woman to Jesus, and Jesus says, hey, neither do I condemn you, grace. Now go and leave your life of sin, uh, truth. And so uh, you have this personification of grace and truth, not only there, but in John's other writings like um, John's epistles and then the book of Revelation and so on and so forth. And if you're really going to be a Christian, you have to live um, between grace and truth. And that's not easy. The reason why it's not easy is because everybody in this room, Scott and I included, and everybody that you know, naturally, you're either all about the grace or all about the truth, okay? Um, And you know the difference between them. You know the grace people, the mercy people, right? They're the ones who say, God loves you, and God loves everybody, and let's just all hold hands and eat cotton candy, and their version of God is Buddy the Elf. Um, And then you know the truth people, right? Right? These are the people that know the Bible well, and they want you to know that they know the Bible well. You know any of those people? You'll be in a Bible. Yes, yeah, somebody said, "Yeah." Don't look at the person next to you. Um, you. You'll be in a Bible study with them, and you're like, "Well, you know, it's like what Paul said in Philippians. That's Colossians. Well, it's like you know what happened to um, Moses in Exodus. No, it's Numbers. You're like, wow, thank you." I love to be corrected. Thank you. (laughs) No, it's true. People love to be corrected. As a matter of fact, I never knew how much I loved to be corrected until I got married. Um, (laughs) My wife is a walking DMV. Um, Like, seriously, I'll be going five miles over the speed limit. She's like, you're going five miles over. I'm like, yep. (laughs) You're going seven miles over. I'm like, "Uh uh-huh. She's like, do you know that I said it's about ready to be ten. If we don't stop.
0: My wife's. My wife's idea is that if there's two people driving, it's better than one person driving. Absolutely. So, like, is that what, is No. That kind of her mentality too. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: And I'll be driving. A car will be like a mile up, and she's like, "Watch out!" <laughs>
2: <laughs> Brother, Are you seeing dead people?
1: There's a car up there. So true. I'm like, yeah. There's a car behind us too. So true. And there's the sky and waters over there.
2: <laughs>
1: anyway, you we, we we live and we go to our muscle habits. You know what it's like? It's like if you have a rubber band like this and you just hold it by one side. You've never seen anybody do that. It's weak and it's flimsy and there's no power. That's what it's like if somebody's all about the grace and no truth, or if somebody's all about the truth and no grace there's no power there there's nothing you can do with it so where's the power lie well if you follow Jesus's example and actually are Christ-like you say I'm about the grace and the truth where does the power lie the power lies in the tension of the two and that's uncomfortable it's tension if it was comfortable we wouldn't call it tension but it's comfortable And that's why we'll go to either one side or the other, why we'll take sides, we'll be predominantly more about this side than the other side, because it's easy. It is spiritual laziness to be predominantly about one all the time and not the other. But it takes all the dependence and faith to stretch over to the other side, whatever you are, if you follow Jesus. And there's a name for this tension. It's love. Love is the tension of grace and truth. And so, like, that's... What we're running away from when we choose not to live in this tension. And, and that's the thing, people. If, if you don't want to love people, if you don't want to sacrifice, then never love somebody. Because love always requires sacrifice. The deeper you love somebody, the more sacrifice. There's a reason why lust feels like love until it requires sacrifice. And then you're gone. But when you love somebody, you sacrifice for them. And you hurt with them. You get mad at them, but you don't leave. You see, and by the way, if you don't like what I'm saying about tension, you might want to find a different religion. Christianity is filled with it. I mean, we have like 100% absolutes. Like, Scripture is inspired. There is a God. He's real. Um, the Raiders are a trash team. You know, Jesus <laughs> is the Son of God. Wow. Amen. There, there, are, there, are, there are tons of, of truths in Scripture like that. But you know what? There's a lot of Scripture. Like, we believe in one God but the Trinity, hello. We believe that Jesus is fully God and fully human. We believe that death and evil were defeated at the cross and resurrection, not yet destroyed. We believe that God is in control and has free will. We believe that the Bible is inspired but written by sinful people. We believe in the virgin birth. (laughs) We believe in the wrath. Of the Lamb. I mean, you think about it. There's tension all over our faith. So why is it that we run and take sides with the tension of grace and truth and not with Scripture? Or the inspiration of Scripture or the Trinity? I'll tell you why. Because you've never stayed up all night worrying about the Trinity. If you have, there are people you can talk to. (laughs) But you haven't done it. But you have worried about people. You've stayed up all night mourning somebody who died too soon. Too soon. Or worried about somebody, or maybe there's a breakup or, or a friendship ended. Grace and truth. You see, that's always about relationships and grace and truth, if it's about relationships, that means there are emotional attachments and emotional attachments hurt. And therefore you have to live in the tension of grace and truth. If you're going to be a Christian, you got to get used to being uncomfortable because Christianity is not about comfort. If Jesus starts like voting like you and having the same political opinions that you do, then that ain't Jesus. Sorry to burst your bubble. Because Jesus, while he's not anti-cultural, he is counter-cultural. Not only to secular society, but to religious uh, community as well. So, messy grace is more about your personal relationship with LGBTQ individuals. Uh, Messy truth is about uh, how to foster a community uh, where anyone can belong, uh, no matter what you believe. Um, that's why I wrote those two books. Um, and also within Messy Truth, uh, I included a great deal about how do you have a difficult conversation with somebody about truth, about what you believe, without shaming that person.
0: Yeah, and and that was, so when we, this past week, we asked our table groups to send us some questions, you know, things that, that we wanted Caleb to talk about, and, and I noticed a theme, and all the questions, I would say... Most of the questions were about how to have this conversation, um, coming from lots of different angles with lots of different people, um, and so, you know, I summarized it in this way, uh, in in several ways. Like, how do I? What do I need to remember when I'm having this conversation? Um, how do we? How do we disagree well? I think that's you touched on it a little bit. I'd like you to speak a little more about that. Um, how do we maybe keep keep the door open when someone is unwilling to talk about things? Uh, and, 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 you know, I recognize that um, just everybody here, there, there might you might be coming from all kinds of different perspectives. And so I really think it's important that we talk through just how to have this conversation. Just starting from the, give us some ground rules. Give us some guardrails, so to speak. And yeah. how we disagree. How do we do it?
1: So, first of all, if you're going to have a, a difficult conversation with somebody, like about... Um, your view of sexuality, relationships, intimacy, so on and so forth. Uh, First and foremost, you got to measure your own character. You have to measure your own character. And what I mean by that is that there are a lot of people who try to have what they deem to be helpful conversations with people that they perceive as being wrong in in their relational decisions, and yet they don't see the own stuff going on in their own life. And then that ends up messing up the person you're walking with. That ends up messing up the conversation and then everybody around you. So you have to learn how to measure your own character. Do I have the character to be able to have this conversation? Like there is nothing that will trip up a church or an organization more than a leader who has more authority than their character. You always have to have more character than the authority you hold or than a conversation you're going to have. So you have to measure your character. Second of all, um, you have to be empathetic and feel with another person. Like the author, Brene Brown, says in her, in her book, Gifts of Imperfection, that empathy is to feel with another person. Or this other pastor who runs this organization called Orange or Rethink, Reggie Joyner, he says that empathy is the ability to put your own thoughts and feelings on pause long enough to think and feel with another person. That you have to, you have to really ask yourself... Do I know this person? If you don't know this person, you shouldn't have a conversation. You don't know anything about If you know this person, that's different. But uh, what assumptions am I making? Why am I making these assumptions? You need to ask yourself, you know, um, what would I do if I was in their situation? Do I know all the experiences that they've had? You know, why do I feel the need? Why does this make me uncomfortable? Why do I feel the burden to be able to have this... um, if I were them, how would I take this conversation? If I were them, what would I be afraid of? If I were them, how would I feel? You have to em- employ some empathy. Number two, um, you have to make sure that you know what you believe. Like, there's a reason why I believe what I do about um, sex. Like, I, and I don't look at God as a big killjoy. Like, God created sex. I'm, like, I'm not trying to regulate sex. I'm saying what I believe the Bible is saying. Like, but God's not a killjoy in heaven. He created sex. I'm a fan. I'm married. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, is that there's a reason why God has guardrails up there. Like, I've heard people say, well, you know, Caleb, Jesus didn't say anything about same-sex relationships. Yep, he didn't say anything about marijuana either or cocaine. He didn't say, and I'm not comparing the two, I'm just saying, he didn't say anything about sunkissed
0: You're orange drink. Roast.
1: Well, for tonight, it's my drink of choice.
0: Mm. He's had like lots of these since he's been here, by the way. Maybe not this, but what's the other one you
1: had? Somebody Fanta, told on me back Fanta. there. Fanta.
0: Fanta, and then? Orange Crush. Orange Black, Crush, yes. Yeah. He's just rotating between the three, constantly. Anyway, his wife doesn't know he's drinking all this, does she? I feel like this is an intervention. This is. Uh, I'm going I'm I'm to tell Amy, how many, how many have you had since you've been here? How many? Just just say it. Come on. Confess in front of us all. What's happening? <laughs> all right. Sorry. Go back to your... What were you even talking about? I
1: don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I was talking about sex. I don't think so. I was talking about cocaine. Great. Cocaine. 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 Great. No.
0: Jesus Jesus never said anything about about sun kissed or or
1: cocaine or sexual, whatever. Wow, that's going down. (laughs) Thank you, Scott. Glad I can help. He strikes again. Um, No, no, I like he he didn't say anything about Star Wars. Jesus didn't say anything um, uh, about eating meat. He didn't say anything about being a vegan. Like, let's list all the things that Jesus didn't talk about. You can't make an argument from silence. It's a logical fallacy. You know what Jesus did talk about? He, talked about? he did talk about sex. He did talk about marriage. And when he was asked about divorce, he quoted Genesis 127. He quoted Genesis 224, which Genesis 224 says, For this reason, uh, man will leave his mom and dad, will be united with his wife, and the two will become one. Jesus had a chance to say something different. He didn't. When Jesus talked about porneo, sexual immorality, the Jewish mind would have automatically gone back to the rabbinical passages on sex in the book of Leviticus, one of the first five books of the Bible. They, they would have automatically thought about that. Jesus did honor what God set up in the beginning. He didn't even address some of the contemporary rabbinical thoughts about Uh, sexuality or or the rabbinical thoughts about the fact that, you know, you can divorce your wife for whatever you want. A lot of rabbis taught that, that if your wife displeased you, divorce them and get another one. And so there are a lot of men who are just divorcing their wives all the time. That's one of the things that made divorce so horrible. In a a super pharisaical uh, law-dominated society in the first century Middle East, what do you think was left for women to do if they were divorced by their husbands? You see, this is why it's such a tragedy when Jesus meets this woman at the well. And he treats her like a human being. Ask her for a cup of water. Not because, woman, give me cup. No. There's no man that would have asked a woman for a cup of water in the first century. Especially, not this woman that Jesus eventually says, you've had five husbands. The man you're with now is not your husband. Jesus asked her for a cup of water, and that's why she's like, you're asking me? Yeah, he's treating her like an equal, like a human being. Jesus has a conversation with her. No man would have done that. And when Jesus says you've had five husbands, what he's also saying is, you've been divorced five times. Your husbands have divorced you. You have been rejected five times. No wonder this woman didn't want to get married again. And yet, what does Jesus do? He gives her hope. By sharing truth. There's a reason why God set up guardrails. I've been asked a lot. Why does God set up the guardrails that he does around sex? Here's my best theological answer. You ready for it? Here it is. I don't know. Here's what I do know. That God can look down the corridors of time and he can see things that we can't. And maybe God put up guardrails there. For a reason. And maybe he said, I know you're not going to agree. I know you're not even going to understand. I know this might go against every fiber of your being. But you've got to listen to me here. Sex is such a powerful thing. It can be used to destroy people. It can be used to control people. It can be used to shame. It can be used to try to feed your insecurities. It can be used to try to uh, stabilitize your sense of not belonging. It can be used when you're lonely. And it can destroy you from the inside out, from the outside in. Maybe he put up guardrails there for a reason. I don't know. But while I do believe that, I also do not believe that you should ever judge somebody. My opinion on marriage, sex, intimacy has no impact on my relationships. None. I have a lot of friends who are in same-sex relationships in Southern California. We go out to eat at a lot of dinners because I'm a foodie. I'm a bit of a diva. I'll own it. I have 27 shoes. I don't care. <laughs> 27 pairs of shoes, not just 20. That would be awkward. <laughs> 27 pairs of shoes. you are like, Caleb, that's weird, man. Know that. A man wouldn't do that. I don't care. I'm married to a woman. I don't care what you think. I have 27 pairs of shoes. I used to drive a yellow bug because my wife didn't want any more. That's a whole other story. Anyway, I hang out and I have dinner all the time. We. I've been on trips. But same-sex couples, and you know what? That never comes up. Because our friendship is based on other things. And that's what's important to me. And so you've got to be able to say what you believe in difficult conversations in concise ways. You've got to do other things like, where's the best place to have a conversation? Public? Private? How long do I want it to be? You need to set a time in your own head. You don't go there and say, wait, well, I have 90 minutes, because then you're a weirdo. You need to kind of plan it out in your head, but you don't go there with the notes of what you want to say because then you're a creeper. And you give time for people to answer. You respect their opinions and you don't expect that somebody is ever going to walk away. You determine a goal for the conversation, but your ultimate goal is that whatever that looks like, you help them take their next step towards Jesus and that you don't shame them and that you... They may walk away, may not agree with you. This might be the only time you have that conversation, and you've got to be prepared to let it go, put it in God's hands, and continue to love them, continue to be their friend, and be okay with people disagreeing.
0: Yeah, you know, actually, I thought of a story that uh, that you modeled this to me really well. Once we were we were working together, I can't remember exactly what we were disagreeing about or what what I had said, but I said something kind of passive aggressive. And to you, I walked off. And I remember feeling bad about it because it was kind of out of the blue for you, and you weren't expecting it. And I remember you calling me in about an hour, like an hour afterwards, and you said, "You know what, Scott? I'm really mad at you, but I just want you to know that I love you, and we're going to work this out. We're going to talk about it again. But I just want you to know I love you." And I and I've never forgot that because what you demonstrated to me in that moment was and I remember we were standing behind the stage near the baptistry when I said whatever I said and walked away and and you, I remember you calling me and I remember thinking man that, that is the way that friends and brothers should have disagreements is um, to be able to say yeah no I don't agree with what you said or what you did but I love you and we're going to talk through this we're going to do this together
1: I appreciate that man and you know, there's some people it's hard to do that with. Having a friend like you, it's not hard to do that with because of your integrity. But I appreciate you. You're saying that. Um, I there's a friend named Sean Palmer, and he and I were both supposed to write um, opinion piece on uh, theology and LGBTQ for a magazine. And he was uh, writing more of an affirming point of view. I was writing more compassionate, non-affirming point of view. And we're good friends. And so when I wrote my He had written an article, and then I was supposed to respond to it, and he was going to respond to me. And uh, No, he wrote an article, and I was responding to it. And so when I got done writing my response, I emailed it to him before I sent it to the magazine. And I said, hey, please tell me if it's fair. And if it's not, how can it be more fair? And um, if you disagree with it, let's talk, because I want to honor what you believe. And... He wrote back. It's completely fair. He wrote back. I appreciate you bringing that up um, because that's what you do to honor somebody. Yeah. Um, you treat them civilly and with dignity, yeah. um, and you don't make assumptions.
0: You, you said something a second ago about you know about what Jesus said about marriage. So when when someone comes to you and says why do you why do you where do you go to the Bible to believe what you believe and, and why do you trust the Bible? Um, you, so you're saying you go to Matthew 19. Matthew
1: 19. I start with the words of Jesus because there are a lot of people that don't like Christians, have had bad church experiences, think the Bible is filled with unicorns, and I tell them, we don't have a unicorn, we have a dragon. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You know, they don't, you know, they don't like um, even anything having to do with religion, but I've yet to meet anybody who does not like Jesus. And so he's my starting point. And I usually go to Matthew 19 or Mark chapter 10. And I talk about that and... Um, then I'll you know, reference Genesis 2. Um, I'll also talk about how um, there are many times when the boundaries and guardrails that Jesus talked about around uh, marriage and sex and so on were for the protection of people, especially women yeah. in the first century, to empower them and to um, uh, protect them and to help people, to see, uh, men to see back in the first century that women are made um, in the image of God intrinsically just as much as men are in, um, yeah.
0: you know, so yeah. So the, one of the questions that was asked was why didn't God just make marriage between, um, between two people? Why, did, why, why between a man and a woman? I don't know, it's going to be one of my questions. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I right. but,
1: no, but but I mean, I, I, I mean, I feel like I have more integrity than to say I don't know than yeah. whoa, you know, it's not talking I Um, I will say this though. What I will say this. What language I will, was that, huh? What language, bees. Okay. I will say this. I will say this. I do, I I do think that um, the the marriage between a man and a woman, in in so many ways, it does differentiate. Um, you know, in the same way that the Trinity is differentiated. Because a marriage is not just between two it's between God two peoples, between God, a man, and a woman. And when you look at the Trinity, the Trinity is also differentiated. God, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, there's differentiation. Also, I do know this, that we fuss so much about sex and marriage here, and neither are going to be in heaven. Like, Sorry to burst your bubble. Um, some of you will die virgins. That's um, no, true. It's true. Um. All right. Um, Thank back you for to coming. Our no, yeah. No, but here's here's the here's the deal. Um, we live in a society. That says sex is the highest yep. form of relationship. And is not the highest form of intimacy. There are friends that have deeper intimate connections than married people. And, our, sure. and Christians, I know, there are a lot in our Christian subculture, our, Christian, our Western Christian subculture, in response to, marriage, to sexuality and sex being such a big issue in society, they have elevated marriage and they have turned it into a gig. So much so... Yeah. that we put this pressure on people that when they decide to be single, they feel like yeah. redheaded stepchildren in a 70s sitcom. And it's like, like you can't do that. And, and so here's the thing. Like, you know how when Je- like, we did animal sacrifices all the way up, you know, until Jesus died on the cross and resurrected. Like, some of you would not do well in the Old Testament. You would have to kill little lamby. You wouldn't do well. You would run off into the hills with lamby. Like I know some of you. You would even me bringing up killing a lamb. You get sad. You start tearing up. You don't even know the animal. You start tearing up. But why did? Why was there a, 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 an animal? You know, killing animals for sin in the Old Testament was to set up a, an understanding of substitutionary atonement, of Jesus taking our place on the cross. And when he died in resurrection, there was no longer a need for animal sacrifices because they were foreshadowing the greater that is to come. Well, in um, in uh, Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul compares marriage to the union of Christ and the church. And there's a reason why Jesus says, in heaven, people will neither be married, you know, Or given in marriage, and that means no sex. There's a reason. You know why? Because marriage right now, the ultimate purpose of marriage, I think, is to foreshadow the ultimate union between Christ and the church. Between the bride and the bridegroom. Between the church and the lamb. And when that ultimate marriage takes place, there's no longer a need for marriage anymore. Marriage has served its purpose. There will be no eros, love, in heaven. But there will be agape. There will be strage love, which is Greek for parental love, and there will also be phileo love in heaven, brotherly love. But there will be no eros. And you see, that's what makes eros so, so dangerous, because when you separate eros away from agape love and away from the other loves, it is dangerous, and it destroys. But there will be no marriage, there will be no no sex in heaven, because I do think that marriage is a
0: type, and it is foreshadowing the greater Marriage that is to come. We talk about that here that, that sex has been elevated to this highest human experience and, or romance, and, um, and mainly because we've been told to believe that our personal happiness is the greatest thing that we can pursue. And oftentimes, romance and sex are kind of lumped in with that, and it's not. And it's if, not the way God talks about and it.
1: And if you really do believe that happiness, your happiness, is the greatest thing to pursue, when it comes to anything in your life, but especially sex and romance, nobody will ever be able to live up to your expectations. Because your expectations will always be changing and you will never be satisfied and you will hurt other people. But that's what our society is telling us. Your ultimate happiness is the most important, and it's not. Because they're telling the person next to you, your happiness is the most important, your happiness is your happiness, no. Joy is greater than happiness. Joy surpasses
0: earthly understanding. All right, two last questions, and maybe spend a few minutes on each. Uh, can you be a Christian and gay? I mean, like I hope so. Like, hope you can be a Christian
1: and a warrior. Hope you can be a Christian and, um, you know, uh, a liar. You know, I hope you can be a Christian like the Jonas Brothers. Um,
0: you I'm sorry, did I trigger you again? I don't like the Jonas Brothers. Oh, but, sure. But the... What's the other man that I like? That you hate on? Nickelback. Yes. Why, why do you have to throw them on? I the have so to
1: explain why.
0: <laughs> okay, so... But when you say you hope so, so explain kind of... Like, how does this work? So, like... If, if um, because I think this is a question that 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 people have, and yeah. they're, they're wondering, so, "What? How does this work?"
1: So here's here's what I believe. I believe that the only person that truly knows your heart is God. The only person that truly knows whether or not you're saved or not is God. Your sexuality is between you and God. I have my theological belief about. Sexuality, your sexuality is between you and God, and you have to work it out with them, with God. And so, and so when I say you can be a Christian and gay, what I mean is um, there's a difference between somebody who says, I don't care what God thinks, and I'm just going to do whatever I want to do, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. There's a difference between that person who says, I don't care what God thinks, I'm going to live however I want to live, and a person who says, I'm going I'm I'm in this, I'm doing this, and I'm trying to figure out what is best. I'm searching. I'm struggling. You see, because when you put your head down on your pillow at nighttime or wherever you sleep, your arm, your pillow, the floor, whatever that looks like, your textbook, here's the deal. In those moments, it's just you and God. And God knows your heart. God knows what's working inside of you. And God knows if you're growing. And there are some people in their Christian walk that grow like this. There are some people that just grow like this. And God knows the beginning from the end. And so, I think there is a difference between people who are prideful and they say, I don't care what God thinks. And I'm not going to investigate. I'm not going to read. I'm not going to do this. I'm just going to live however I want to live. This is how I feel. This is how I relate. This is how I perceive myself. This is what I think. There's a difference between that person and the person who says, I'm really trying to see God. And it's difficult and it's hard. And it might be a battle the rest of my life, but that's how much I love him.
0: Yeah.
1: There's a big difference. Okay. And I will say this. Um, there, there are people who, in, the, in, in certain Christian camps who believe this, and I don't, um, there are people that believe that um, same-sex attraction is a sin being attracted to somebody of the same sex, being attracted to people of both sex, um, or being attracted to no sex, being asexual, uh, being polysexual, demisexual, so on and so forth. I don't think any of that in and of itself is inherently uh, simple. Just like, you know, having heterosexual orientation is not simple, but when you, it's what you do with it. Um, And that becomes simple. What plays out in your mind? That's where it begins. And so I just want to say that. And if you are LGBTQ and you're here, I just want to let you know something. God loves you. And you need to study on your own. You need to not just take what I say. I mean, I don't know what you would do. My wife disagrees with 90% of what I say. So you need to study on your own. You need to learn. But you always need to see God. And you need to understand God loves you. God formed you. And he will never turn his back on you. Even if you feel like it in your heart. Understand something. That we lie to ourselves a lot. You cannot always trust your feelings. Especially what you say to yourself about yourself. God is passionately in love with you. I just just want to say that. Um, And I'm not saying you're going to hell. I'm saying you need to pursue God. With everything you are. And say no matter where this leads me. I'm going to go because I love Jesus. And I'm going to commit to doing what it takes
0: to follow him. Uh, and That's a great um, great way to maybe wrap up because uh, I, won't, I won't get to this last question. But, I, you know, watching your life and seeing what you have had to do you know, work through and and commit to the Lord, and um, you know, it reminds me of, of John six. Randy was just reading to us this in our staff meeting this week. John six, Jesus says something crazy. He says, "Unless you eat eat my flesh and, and drink my blood, you cannot, you know, follow me. Like you 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 will have no part with me. You cannot, you know." And so, the disciples go. Whoa, that's a hard saying, Jesus. What are you talking about? Now, we know we have communion. We have this thing, this beautiful thing, this this meal that we can have to remember what Christ has done. Now, we understand what he's describing there. But when Jesus said it to his disciples and to his followers, they had no clue. And and it says, several of them walked away. Many of them left. And Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, are you two? you two going to walk away? you going to go somewhere else and peter speaks up and he says to whom would we go like we have come to believe that you are the son of god you you offer words of life where would we go but i just find that interesting because you know there they are faced with something that jesus said that was really difficult for them to understand and and yet they recognize who he was and they recognize what what he was about And they said, yeah, no, we don't understand, but where else would we go? You have the words of life, and I've seen you do that. Um, I remember you on campus working through the things you had to work through in in college with your parents and their relationship. Um, I've seen you do that in every place you've gone in ministry, um, working through being passionate and gracious and pursuing Jesus with all you have, um, even in your quirkiness, um, and so I really, really appreciate you about that. If you, so we'll we'll end it there. Here,
1: can I can I end on a funny story real quick? Oh, please. Okay. So you need to be kind to people no matter what. I'll give you an illustration why. Um, like I said, we go. To, my wife and I we go to Disneyland a lot. And one time, she and I went there just the two of us. We have. Fun when the kids are there. We have different kind of fun when kids aren't there. Um, It's like the difference between grace and the law. So anyway, um, we're eating dinner and in this restaurant in Disneyland. And there's this couple next to us. And, um, you know, they made some joke. I overheard it. And I start talking to them. And my wife is looking at me like, she's flipping out. And I'm talking to this couple. And at first I think, "Are, are you mad because... I'm not just focusing on us. Like, I've triangulated them into our conversation. Like, that's what I'm thinking, and I'm like, do you want me to stop? She's like, no, you're answer me, man, I'm like, I don't understand. And so I keep talking to them, and they're talking to us, and I talk to Amy, and Amy's like, I'm shy. She's like, oh, I do this. I ask the guy, I'm like, so what do you do for a living? He's like, I do stuff. And I'm like, oh, oh like, who's this guy doing stuff? And so um, they get up. They said, hey, you guys are awesome. We'd love to hang out with you some more. Do you want to come on rides with us? Amy goes, yes. And I'm like, this is a test. I'm like, no, it's okay. We're not going to. Amy's like, yes, we can. I'm like, no, 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 no. We're on a date. We want to honor that. She's like, Caleb, go on rides with them. I'm like, why are you obsessed? You don't know these people. I'm thinking, what is her problem? She's lost it. And they're like, well, hey, we hope we run into you again soon. You know, thank you so much for the conversation. They leave. Amy's like, you idiot. And I'm like, what? She's like, you have no idea who you're talking to, do you? I'm like, no. She said, that was Orlando Bloom and Katy Perry. (laughs) And I'm like, no, it wasn't. And I'm like, oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it was. It was. He didn't look like Lord of the Rings in that moment. Um, and I think that's why they kept talking. Because when I asked Orlando Bloom, what do you do for a living? He's like, stuff. I'm like, okay. I think they knew I had no clue who they were. That's why they kept talking. But you always got to be kind. You never know who you're talking to. You never know what's at its stake. just want to end with that.
0: Wow, thank you very much. Hey, so... (laughs) We're going to be done. I I do want to say... Yeah, the staff, Randy and Drew and Alec and myself and Caleb will will be up front if you want to come up and talk. Um, There is a Messy Grace video series free on YouTube that you can go and watch. Um, A really well done four-part series on a lot of what he's describing. And uh, some other some other key um, key people in that series that I think would be really, really helpful. So Messy Grace video series, check it out on YouTube for free. we're going to send out a link yeah, something. Yeah, Alec might send out a link for it. Other than that, let me pray, and then we will be done. God, thank you for our time tonight. And Lord, we, we really do desire, first and foremost, to accurately speak about you Jesus, you came full of grace and truth, Lord, and, and we, want, we want to live that way. We want to represent you well. So, God, I pray that anything that was said tonight, ultimately, anything that wasn't of you would be forgotten. Anything that is of you, God, would be remembered and that we would be drawn to you. And we pray on this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming.